Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, and I'm very happy to be joined today by my friend Chris Harrington from the Memphis Commercial Appeal, where I imagine the mood is a bit somber today. Is that fair? It It, it is. I mean, you know, this is a team that was thinking about trying to maybe even push the Clippers for the fourth seed once, you know, with Blake Griffin being out. And now, you know, whatever whatever hopes you can, you, fans can talk themselves into about a, a playoff run this season, which is probably a long shot already. But it's sort of hard to even talk yourself into that when with Marcus all out. Yeah, and, and so people know uh, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon before the the Grizzlies play um, play the play the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn uh, Wednesday night. This will probably go up on Thursday. Um, but Marcus Saul, uh, the All Star center for the Grizzlies, it was announced on. Tuesday had a, a, a broken right foot, uh, likely, you know, not, not clear yet, but likely to miss the rest of the season, um, which is obviously a huge blow uh, to the Grizzlies. Uh, have, they, have they said, Chris, yet what exactly the injury was? Um, they have not been specific. Uh, my, my colleague Ron Tillery has, has reported it as a midfoot injury. It, it, it is a fracture of some sort. But the team has been um, – the team has typically um, not been very forthcoming with injury information, and this has certainly not been a departure from that. Yeah, and if it is, if it is a midfoot sprain, I mean, unfortunately, from covering my time covering the Brooklyn Nets, I've learned a lot about foot injuries with Brook Lopez constantly having them for a while. And uh, if right. it is, if it is a midfoot sprain instead of a, I would, you know, you a, a fractured fifth metatarsal, which is kind of the the standard injury, I guess, for, for broken feet. That's what Kevin Durant had. That's what Brooke had. That's what Mark's brother Powell had back uh, when he played in Memphis. Um, that's kind of a, a standard six- to eight-week healing process, which might have meant Mark would miss the rest of the season anyway, but you would kind of know what it was. The midfoot sprains are a bit trickier, so hopefully uh, hopefully, hopefully, it isn't anything too serious. But, I mean, you mentioned – I mean, No, go ahead. Go ahead. They they haven't. I mean, you know, they're they're saying out indefinitely. They have not declared him out for the season, but there's only two months left in the regular season anyway. And I just think they have to be careful. And I think I hope that now they realize they need to be careful. You know, Gasol's in the first year of a five year max contract. He's going to turn 32 next season. The seven footer with a foot injury. You know, your your hopes. You're not a title contender this year anyway. So I don't think. You know, I think you have to be concerned about the long term with him going into next season. I don't think you can you can rush it this year. I I, I would think. No, totally. I I agree a hundred percent. I would you know, and and like you said, the best case scenario was probably that he came back just at the end of the regular season anyway. Um, but but given given the situation the franchise is in, you know, you have to be both because of the contract that they've given to Mark and the the overall situation here, and they have to be. They have to be patient with him, and that, that's what I wanted to talk to you about mostly. You know, you mentioned, you know, we I was in just before I started this job when I was still covering the Nets. We had lunch in in Memphis at the start of the season, and we were kind of talking about the state state of the Grizzlies franchise and where things sat. And you know, as the season started, it it did seem like you know this might be the end of this run with this grit and grind group with you know Mark and Mike Conley and Tony Allen and Zach Randolph as kind of the core of it. But then you know, the last six weeks or so, you know, the Grizzlies have really turned it on. You mentioned how they were coming up on the, the Clippers for fourth in the in the West. There was at least a decent chance they might win a series. Um, you know, it seemed like things were kind of on a positive track. 
Um, how is this? Is this just a you know? Let, let's assume Mark recovers from this. Is fine. Um, you know, which, which you know, just to, just for argument's sake, is this is this a, a just a two month thing? And they come back next year with a similar group. I'm um, assuming they can resign Mike Conley, and they and they they kind of keep things rolling. Or do you think this might kind of be? you know, the beginning of the end, given the age of the guys involved and some of the contractual issues that are about to, to be set upon this team? I don't think I don't think the injury necessarily changes the long-term plan of the team, both going into the summer and, frankly, even going into next, next week's trade deadline. I mean, I think they're focused on re, not, 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 not a blow-up or a rebuild, but, but certainly a transition towards towards a something something different next season built around Gasol and returning Mike Conley. That doesn't mean getting that doesn't mean the exit of Zach Randolph or Tony Allen, because I think at this point those guys have more value even now on the floor and in, in, in the organization than they do on the trade on the trade block. I don't think those guys would, would fetch the kind of return that would that would make it worth dealing them. So I think instead what the Grizzlies are looking at is you, know, you have these other expiring contracts: Jeff Green, Mario Chalmers, Courtney Lee, Matt Barnes. You know, I, I think even before the Gasol injury, they they were very willing to deal some of those guys for future assets if future assets could be had for them. I'm not sure that that future assets can be had in any significant way. I think they were willing to make those trades before the Gasol injury, so I think they're still willing to make those deals. And they're looking at going into the summer like a lot of teams around the league and carving out max cap space either for one player or maybe the spread among multiple players and hoping, you know, they can find find some kind of new fit that sort of that, that changes, you know, changes their tra- tra- trajectory a little bit. I, I think it's a rough, a rough road for them to go down. I, I'm not particularly optimistic about free agency for them. But I think, you know, they're looking at resigning Mike Conley and trying to make a play in free agency to find some core piece that, you know, can go along with what they have now. And so altering altering what they have but not blowing it up, I think that's still where they're at. Yeah, and, and, and part of the issue that we've talked about for Memphis uh, in the past is that they, they've got pick issues, right? I mean, they traded, they, you know, and what's, right. you know, what's, what's not a great-looking trade now, they, they dumped Maurice Spates to save money back in 2013 and now you know that pick is hanging over them this year it's it's kind of a weird protection it's either top five protected or it's protected if they make the playoffs so basically um, right denver will get the pick if the grizzlies are somewhere between six and 14 in the lottery um and then the pick protection changes from there and memphis also traded a first round pick uh for jeff green last year in a move that they thought was kind of an all-in move to to maybe make them into you know, a championship team and didn't quite work out that way. So, um, you know, it does make, you know, for there, I've seen some people write that and say, you know, even before the injury, but especially after, oh, you know, it might be time for Memphis to blow things up. But it's tough for that to happen just because of those pick situations and the fact that even if the Grizzlies did want to try to have a rebuild, it's not like they could, you know, sell off Mike and, and Mark and a bunch of stuff for, for draft assets and just kind of, you know, start making draft picks because if they don't do well, they're not going to reap the benefits of it anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, the draft pick thing is a complicating factor because, I mean, they're already at 30 and 22. So you're not going to, no matter what you do, you're not going to be bad enough to get a, to get a top five pick, barring some of just outrageous lottery luck. And if you miss the playoffs, and, and, and if you miss the playoffs, 
And and so if you miss the playoffs, you're likely giving that pick away to Denver this summer. Um, They don't want to do that. That's been their plan all along is they want that draft pick this summer. Um, They want to get a rookie rookie contract on the books under the current CBA because there's an anticipation that the rookie contract rules might change and you get, you want to get a guy in now under under more favorable contract situations for rookies and then secondly you want to get young talent into the mix as soon as you can you know while you still have years good years left with Mike Conley and Mark Gasol so even though they're going to lose a pick eventually anyway they would rather lose it later than lose it this season i to me you could look at it the other way cuz and they've had situations in the past where they've traded some future down the road pick and, and delayed it and delayed it and delayed it and then it ended up costing them. That's the the Vancouver Grizzlies traded a future distant first round pick for Otis Thorpe once upon a time, and it kept delaying and delaying and delaying. And then in 2003, it cost them a chance at Carmelo Anthony or Dwayne Wade. And so if I'm the Grizzlies, I, I'm concerned about you know about those picks being pushed down the road to the point that. Suddenly the protections are lower and you're and you're giving up a number seven pick and a number eight pick instead of a number thirteen fourteen pick. But for them, that's a, you know they want the pick now, and so their goal is to make the playoffs. Um, and so, and so, but on the other hand, they don't want to trade away future assets to try to prop themselves up. And so it's sort of a tight squeeze for them. So their hope is to you know basically you know, make do with what they have or maybe try to pick up something without giving up a young player or a future pick and still work their way into the playoffs. Um, in some ways, the Gasol things, you know, could 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 make it so that, so that you know, their pick's a little bit better even if they do keep it. So now if you're the eight seed instead of the five, you're getting a little bit better draft pick. But but no, the whole, the whole owing the future pick stuff complicates everything heading toward the trade deadline. But, but I, you know, I, I, I think... I, I think they would prefer to keep that pick, but I, but I don't think I don't think that can be the overriding factor for 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 them because they're going to lose the pick eventually anyway. Right, and I and I actually wrote that as part of my my kind of analysis of what's happened in Memphis post injury this morning, which is that you know it it might not be the worst thing for them to give up the number fourteen pick this year because you know you you look at this team and and while you know assuming Mike does stay. You know, Mark and Mike are are a, are a heck of a combo at point guard and center. You know, the 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 rest of the the team around them, you know, continues to age. Specifically, Zach and Tony, and you know, they're, they're, Courtney Lee is going to be a free agent. Um, you know, a lot of the, Matt Barnes, Jeff Green, like a lot of these guys who are playing minutes for them, um, regardless of what you think of them, are free agents and could wind up elsewhere. And you know, Memphis isn't exactly a free agent destination, as you alluded to before, and it could be. You know, it could end up being a tough situation for them. And then if, you know, if one of those guys does go down for some period of time next year, you know, maybe this, maybe they do miss the playoffs and give up the 10th pick or something. So um, it would, it would put them in a, in a weird spot, but I wanted, I wanted to talk to you um, about Mike Conley specifically. Um, you know, we've alluded to it a couple times, but he is going to be a free agent this summer. He's either the second or third best player probably on the market, probably third behind Al Horford, I would guess, in the eyes of most, um, and obviously Kevin Durant. Um, a terrific point guard, has only not made an all-star team um, simply because of circumstance, uh, has had a great career. Um, but he is 28, he's a little small for the position, and if Memphis is going to keep him, they're going to have to pay him probably a five-year max contract for 
well over $100 million. And for a small market franchise, I would imagine that's a big a big price to try to swallow. So um, a, as the season has gone on, has your opinion changed that there's any chance he might leave? Um, is there any scuttlebutt about that in Memphis? And do you think there's any hesitation on their part to to pony up that kind of money to try to keep him? I think I think there's going to be some degree of hesitation around the league to pony up that kind of money when when you're talking about like Conley's really good, but it's not. I, I would actually disagree a little bit and say you know, him not making an All Star team isn't just about circumstance. I, I think he's the next tier down. Like, like they're running an ad on local TV with the games where they say, you know, Mike Conley's the top three point guard in the West, no question. And I and I'm like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul play in the Western Conference. Conley's probably a top ten point guard in the league and has been. Um, he's not having a great season this year. He's a, he he's got a small frame. There's a lot of mileage on that frame. He's had nagging injuries every season. It's it's an issue as the team heads to the playoffs pretty much every year. Kind of like kind of like Tony Parker. They're gonna kind of similar size yeah. too. Yeah, but Conley, but Conley, as good as Conley is, his peak value has never been with Tony Parker. No, no, no. I just meant injury-wise. I just meant injury-wise. Because right. that's kind of been a, a running thing for a few years now in San Antonio, which is, you know, how, how healthy is Tony going to be for the playoff run? And that's kind of, like you said, it's kind of what's happened with Mike over right. and over again. And so so I suspect Conley will get a max or max-type contract, but I do think teams are probably going to stop and think about what that means in a fourth or, in the Grizzlies' case, a fifth year. I know the cap's going to go up, but then it's going to plateau. And you talk about Mike Conley at age 32, making you know maybe close to 30 million dollars if, if the max starts at, at 25. I, I think that's going to give some teams pause. I, I think ultimately the Grizzlies are going to be willing to pay him more money than anyone else can pay him. And so if he chooses to leave, it it will not be for financial reasons. Um, you know. I, whether they get in a full five-year guaranteed max themselves, I think that's up in the air. But whatever outside deal that is offered to him, they can they can trump that. And then you factor in the cost of living in Memphis relative to a market like New York. You factor in the state income tax. Like they will make a presentation to him that that basically underscores you will not only will you make the most money here, you will pocket the most money here by far of anywhere else you can go. And then this, the decision to me is beyond beyond money at that point um you know i do think he has a degree of loyalty to the franchise to the city and more, most importantly to his teammates i think he's comfortable here i think the plan all along which he said oh he said he said that in other markets like there's no pack you know i'm gonna play the play the field he's also said locally multiple times like you know i that you know that this whole idea is mark gets it done then i get it done and we play together throughout our careers and so you know you say different things to different people I don't. I don't think there's a. It's a done deal by any stretch. But I do think, you know, I, I do think it is likely that he is back. And I, I do think that when Marcus all signed last summer, there was not an agreement, but some kind of some level of personal understanding because Conley was the one in Gasol's ear, really pushing him. I think it, when that happened, I think there was some level of understanding. You get it done this summer. I get it done next summer. We play our careers together, and so. As long as it looks like Gasol is going to come back healthy, as long as it looks like the team is competitive, and as long as they're willing to pay him more money than anyone else can pay him, I think it's likely that Conley's back. Now, and I, I would agree with that, but you do, you do, you have kind of heard things here and there about his free agency, and obviously, 
you know, there has been a little uncertainty in Memphis this year. And, I mean, you did mention the money thing, and that, that is going to be an issue. However, there are enough teams, you know, whether it's the Knicks, the Nets, uh, the Lakers, um, even it might be funny to say this, but the Sixers, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of teams in big markets with a ton of money to spend that I think Mike is going to get several max contract offers this summer from teams. And but, see, but see, that's the point I'm making about the, the whole big market question. On one level, that's more exposure and, you know, you have issues about where you want to live and then lifestyle. Right. But from a money standpoint, that's actually a demerit. The point I'm making about cost of living sure. and about, about tax, like they will sit down and, and, and lay it out to him and he will know you will put more money in your pocket staying here than going anywhere else. Sure. So the decision will not be financial. No, but that, that and I wasn't even going to say it was, but I, what I was going to spin it back to was, um, you know, I agree. Obviously, you know, in Memphis, you're going to, he, you know, all those teams could offer him a 4.5% raise per year and Memphis can offer him 7.5. So even if they just offer right. him a four-year deal, they can offer more money. But the question I was going to pose to you was, let's say, from an ego standpoint, and you know that ego factors into these negotiations all the time, let's say there's four or five four-year max offers on the table for Mike, and he comes back to the Grizzlies and says, look, if I'm going to stay, regardless of how much more money I'm going to make from you guys over four years, I want to have a full five-year max, um, just like Mark did. Now, if, right. if that becomes the choice, what do you think the answer is? I think at the end of the end of the day, the Grizzlies do what they need to do to retain Mike Conley. If 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 I were guessing today what it's going to be, my guess is it's a five year deal with a partial guarantee on the fifth year that guarantees him more money than he can get anywhere else, and then by some significant measure, more money than he can get anywhere else, but gives the team some level of protection in a fifth year because that fifth year will be after my Marcus all comes off the books. Right. I think there's some danger of having, you know, $25, $30 million or whatever, however the cap comes in, guaranteed to Mike Conley when Marcus All is gone and that sort of hampering your ability to transition that far out into the future. I mean, I think that's where the negotiation lands is in that area. And do you have to do a full five-year max or can you do a four-year or, or a five-year with a partial guarantee on the fifth? I think that's, that, that, that's when they're down at the, sitting at the table. That's where the negotiation is. Yeah, that, um, and that but makes as long sense. As Mike Conley wants to be in Memphis, they will do what they need to to, get to keep him in Memphis. Yeah, and that and that and that that all makes sense. Um, now, to the other part of free agency, which you mentioned earlier, was you know kind of the re- retooling they're going to have to do around Mike and Mark, assuming they they do keep Mike in the fold. As I think the overall perception is, they probably will. Um, what you know, what what do you think they're going to try to do in order to try to do that? I mean, are they going to are, are, do you think they're going to try to transition to kind of surrounding Mark with shooters, like has become kind of the the invoke thing to do, or do you think they'll they'll try to they'll try to do something different? Or I mean, what do you, what do you think what do you think their their philosophy is? Is they're trying to figure out how to, like you said, kind of get into this transition phase for the franchise? I I sense that they're more focused on getting the best talent they can than the particular style of play. I, th- I think when you have Marcus Hall, Mike Conley, like you can play almost any way you want, depending on what the talent is around them um, with those guys. I think I think they're going to focus more on talent than 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 maybe than finding the players that fit a specific style. 
Um, I do think they want to get younger to some degree. I, I think they are much more likely in free agency to target younger players than to settle on short-term, short-term deals with, with older players and just sort of reshuffle the deck with a new, a new batch of older role players. Although I don't roll out the market dictating that that's where they end up. Um, so I think, I think, I think, I think more than likely they're going to go after one of these younger free agent wings. And by younger, I mean, you know, under 30 free agent wings on the market. It could be a Nicholas Batum, uh, Harrison Barnes is restricted, Evan Fournier who's restricted. Um, I think if they can't get deals done with those guys, they'll look at younger free agents out there. And I don't know who, the, who those would be, but I would speculate, you know, how and Crab, Kent more, some of those sort of younger players who still have upside. So I think their focus is going to be trying to find one or two young perimeter players who they can add, you know, with Mike Conley and Marcus All over multiple years and sort of reinvigorate the core that they have. I think one of the issues they're going to have is even with even with potentially $25 billion in cap space before re-signing Mike Conley, they're looking, they need a starting level wing, at least one starting level wing. And that's even assuming you're going to start Tony Allen or Jordan Adams. And that's, and that's dicey. You need a, at least one starting level wing. You need a backup point guard. You need a good backup point guard because Mike Conley can't be relied on to play 80, 80 games at 30 plus minutes a game. He's not going to hold up. And the other thing is they need, they need a combo forwards. It's not Jeff Green, someone who does what Jeff Green does now. Because even with Zach Randolph back in the starting lineup, they're finishing a lot of games small. And for matchup purposes, even if Zach is back, they need to be able to play small sometimes. And they're bringing back Marcus All, Brandon Wright, and Zach Randolph. Those guys don't allow them to do that. They need someone who can allow them to do that. And that's three pr- pretty big holes to plug with $25 million of free agent money in a market with more money than good players. And so I think it's going to get very tricky for them to the point that I wouldn't be surprised if they look up and bring them back to the guys they have now might, might be the best they can do. I, I, everyone in Memphis looks no, look. look to free agency as this opportunity to get better. And you may, you may struggle just to stay with what you are. One of those things I've written in the points I've made is that the current team they have now, 1 through 15, that everyone wants to see improve this summer, I'm not sure you can bring back that that this team is paying under the luxury tax. I'll just say I don't think there's a chance. There's a chance they can. I mean, look, you and I know this. What is the position everybody in the league is trying to get right now? Wings. There are no wings right. in the league, and all those guys you mentioned all might get max contracts this summer on the wings, which is right. crazy. Like even guy, even a guy like Evan Fournier might get fifteen, sixteen million dollar a year. Um, million dollars a year, uh, and he's you know he's a nice player, but you know he's like in and out of the starting lineup on a, a sub five hundred or Orlando Magic team. But Harrison Barnes is going to get ten max offers. Batum is going to get a max. DeRozan is going to get a max. Like all all right. these guys are going to get max contracts because there aren't any there aren't any wings available. I mean, Courtney Lee is a great example. Courtney Lee is on a great contract. I think he's making what five million dollars this year for Memphis. Right. I mean, he's going to get double that. I, I'll be I'll be stunned if he doesn't get ten or twelve million dollars a year, and, and 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 that's where if you're the Grizzlies and and those top tier guys go off the board and you don't get them, which I agree is the likelihood, there comes a point at that point where you have to wonder where the grass is greener. Would you rather resign, just bring back Courtney Lee and Jeff Green, or go out and overpay for Eric Gordon in free agency, right? Or some of these second tier some of these second tier guys, and so this idea that they're gonna improve themselves the summer free agency that's the hope but I, I i you know i think it's a coin flip at best 
Yeah, it's it's a really tough spot because you know the things like everybody in the league is looking for guys that can that can play the three and four, and everybody is looking for wings. And you know, like you said, I mean, twenty five million dollars sounds like a lot, but under the new under the new cap, which I'm guessing is going to be around ninety five million dollars this year. That's you know it's about a third of your cap or or less, which isn't that much. And like you said, if you have to go out and sign three or four guys um, to fill that space, it, it it makes it a really tough calculus to try to figure. Out. Especially and now, I mean, Thaddeus Young would sign a Memphis native, um, signed with the Nets last year for four years and fifty two million, and that's kind of what the going rate is for a, a, an average you know, solidly average starter in the NBA is at basically any position. It's like 12 or $13 million a year. So then if you say that is what it's going to take to sign a wing, half your money is already gone. Well, this is where the Grizzlies have really hurt themselves doing what I would characterize, and Chris Wallace would argue with me about this. He did on a podcast I did with him. But I would argue they've done a poor job in locating and developing young players into, into significant roles on the team. They don't have the, the rookie contract guys outperforming their contracts, helping subsidize moves for veteran players. Jordan Adams has not worked his way into the rotation. Jarrell Martin is not, you know, he's been hurt. He hasn't done anything. They, they, the last... Yeah, I was going to ask, Chris, not to cut you off. How did how did Chris Wallace argue that? I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I was even going to bring it up. I mean, their drafting has not been good. Um, I, I, I mentioned that they have not done a good job developing young players into, into prominent roles. And, and he said, haven't you ever heard of Jermichael Green? And I said, yeah, I like Jermichael Green. He doesn't play. Boom. Ahead of him. But, um, so, sorry to do that to Chris again, but, um, well, no, it's fair. They, if you look at, if you look at the current, if you look at the current roster, the youngest player in the rotation, I'm, I'm not putting Jermichael Green in the rotation, the youngest player in the rotation that was drafted and developed by the Grizzlies is Mike Conley. That was like a decade ago. And so the, sort of the, chicken, the chickens coming home to roost at this point, they haven't developed those young players, and now they have to go try to find them in free agency, which is not as cost-effective a way to, to get those players. No, and like, like Jordan Adams is a good example, right? Like they draft Jordan Adams, I think, 22nd or 23rd, two or three years ago, and he hasn't played much. And, and, and like, is there any is there any possibility on your end that he could be if not a starter for them next year i mean could he be their their third wing i mean do you think that's possible or is that asking too much i think i think the hope when they drafted him is that going into year three they would be able to pistol him in as the starting two guard you know as the accordingly replacement the problem is he didn't i would argue he did not get enough of an opportunity as a rookie per minute he did some really good stuff as a rookie he just didn't get any minutes you know he, he shot 40 percent from three his steal rate was very high his free throw rate was very high everything that people that people thought these are the things he can do at an nba level in terms of three-point shooting and, and opportunistic defense and getting to the line he did them all on a per minute basis he just didn't get minutes and then this summer, I think he was in line to get minutes this summer, and I think the organization was going to insist he get minutes this year, in, in year two. But then he got hurt. He got hurt this summer. He had knee surgery. He rehabbed. He came back. He played two games and then disappeared again with knee soreness for an extended period of time and then ended up having a second knee surgery and is now rehabbing that. And, you know, there's some hope. He's about a month away in terms of timetable. So there's some hope that, you know, he'll, he'll play in the league here in about a month and may be able to get into into some main roster games before the season's over. 
But after essentially two lost seasons right out of the gate and two knee surgeries, you, you know, they can hope he becomes a player, but they can't pencil it in. They can't make that part of their planning. Right. No, exactly. Um, and like you said, Jerome Martin, I mean, he, has he played at all this season after, after injuring his foot? Or is he, he he's, been appeared in one or, he's appeared in one or two NBA games in garbage time. He has been playing, he has been playing in Iowa for the D League. Okay. So he and they they just actually called him up after the Gasol injury. So maybe maybe he'll 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 work his way into the mix. But he had a he had a foot injury during the summer, and that delayed his start. And then he, it sort of got reaggravated a little bit a few weeks ago. But he's been playing consistently for the Iowa Energy in the D League. And so you know, I mean, they still have hopes for him. But he's more of a traditional big man too. And so. You know, maybe down the road he's a Zach Randolph replacement if he pans out, but I don't think, you know, they're not getting anything out of him this season of of note. Right. Um, All right, I know you got to go soon, so let's hit a couple things quick. Uh, The first thing is uh, the the future of Coach Dave Yeager. Um, You know, his – his future's come up a couple different times this season, um, especially you know right the bat right off the bat early in the year. It sounded like there might be some some issues with his job status, and then they've kind of gone away, and um, it's been a bit unclear. So, you know what what do you think his future is is in Memphis? Is there any chance that this could be the final season for him, or or is that is that all kind of subsided as the year has gone on? I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, if I'm being honest, I do think there's a decent chance this is the final season for him, and I can't quite figure out why. Because I think, I think, I think Dave Yeager is a good coach. Um, you know, I've had my criticisms here and there, as any media person does with any coach, but I think he's a good coach. Um, you know, he when it looked like he was going to leave for Minnesota a couple years ago, he supposedly got on the same page with Robert Para. They came to an agreement. Uh, a pair extended his contract, and everything seemed like it was it was all okay again. And there's just weird vibes this season uh, relative to, to 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 coaching staff and front office, and, and various disconnects along along that thought line. And it's hard for me to pinpoint why that happened, but it, it, it's pretty palpable that there is a disconnect there. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was a mutual parting of ways this summer. But I think he's still under contract, and he's been a successful coach. And so my hope would be that whatever's going on, they can patch that up going forward and that, that he's back. But it doesn't – on the ground here, it does not feel like he's necessarily going to be back. Well, and, and that's not the first time that's happened either, having fissures between the front office and the coaching staff either. I mean, that's how, that's how Dave Yeager ended up in the job in the first place. Yeah, it was a somewhat different front office. Not that, trying that to say a, it's the same, a, but – I mean, Jason. There was a there was a definite sort of issue between Jason Levy and at the time and Lionel Hollins, but it is the same owner. Uh, and so at some point, you know, if 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 if, if Lionel Hollins gets the boot and then Jason Levy gets the boot and then if something happens with Dave Yeager, that's sort of a pattern that Robert Perra is going to have to account for. You know, who's the controlling owner here in Memphis? And is there any concern um, about about that situation moving forward? Because I know there is some. I mean, you look around the league and you see kind of what, you know, unstable ownership has has done in other markets, whether it's Sacramento and Brooklyn, uh, New York with the Knicks. Um, you know, there's plenty of examples of it in Phoenix. Um, I mean, is there any is there any concern there as to what the next chapter of this franchise is as this, you know, this group? Uh, you know, this really terrific group that they inherited, that ownership group, starts to kind of either phase out or transition to a new phase of their career as to what might happen next? Well, as, as you or, or listeners, readers may remember or may not, Para had lots of odd public things 
in the past. It was the, you know, after after Levian was supposed, he had the long facts only like Twitter stream, and there was the, the story that came out of him wanting to challenge Tony Allen to a game, and you know he played the, he played the NBA All Star Weekend. There was sort of all sort of weird like new owner stuff going on with him early on. He's been very, very quiet and very low-key this season, probably too much so. He hasn't even been seen in Memphis, really. The impression you get is that he is very busy um, building his primary company, Ubiquity, um, which is a relatively young company by the standards, probably of NBA owners. This is not someone like Michael Heisley, who made his fortune, was mostly retired in terms of running his business, and then was, was running, owning an NBA team. This is someone who's still building a business that, that you know has made him – you know, a billionaire or close to it. Um, so he, there's a sense he's been busy with that, but he has been probably too silent. I think there's a lot of anxiety in Memphis that he has not shown his face at all and not commented publicly on things. And, and if he were a little bit more out there, that would hopefully be reassuring to people. Um, but other, other than his silence, there hasn't been any sense of drama around ownership this season in the way there was in the past. So, you know, I would say... The feeling is generally pretty good about it, but with a little bit of uncertainty based on how quiet he is. Yeah, that that I think is a that that had seemed to be the what the vibe I had gotten was. So um, it, it 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 is funny. Like you don't necessarily want to hear too much from the owner, but it'd be nice to hear from him sometimes. And if they're not around at yeah, all, yeah, we're going the other way, right? I mean, Michael Heisley in his last days was coming on local radio with our with our, with our friend Chris Vernon and was like <laughs> right. yelling and screaming at radio hosts like on live <laughs> interviews, and that was a little that was a little too much, right? right? Yeah. And so Paris got a little bit maybe too much the other way. Yeah, no, it it is funny. Um, and one final question. Uh, I, I know Memphis, I think, is up four games on Portland right now. Sacramento, New Orleans collapsing has kind of helped the case for the Grizzlies to make the playoffs, but. You know, given the given the situation Memphis is in now with with Mark being out, assuming he's out the rest of the year, do you think this team is able to to sneak into the playoffs as a seven or eight seed? I think it's likely. Um, I think Utah is on their way up. Obviously, they're in a good stretch right now. I mean, they had injury problems earlier in the season. If that team was healthy, I think that's who I would handicap as the five. I think Dallas has a great coach and probably a better schedule the rest of the way. I did a little bit of stuff with the schedules in my column today. They have a little bit more favorable schedule going forward. I kind of like them to stay where they're at. Um, Houston, you would on paper, Houston's supposed to be better, but they're just not getting it together. So I think Houston and Memphis are probably fighting it out in that seven and eight spot. I feel like Portland, and I'm, I'm interested to see what you think about this. Portland, unlike the so the opposite of the Grizzlies, they have an incentive to not make the playoffs based on draft picks they owe. And, it, and oddly, in both cases, it's picks owed to Denver. And so I think Portland on the merits could sneak up and take a playoff spot and knock Memphis or Houston out. But I think they have an incentive not to do that, and I just assume that they'll find a way to not do that. You kind of wonder, though, and I agree with you, but you kind of wonder, though, if, if it's kind of like what you're talking about with Memphis, if maybe it's not the worst thing for Portland to sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed and get rid of that pick this year and just get get rid of that obligation. Now, I don't know what the future obligation is. I don't know if he comes lesser protected well, or not. Here's but. what it is. It, it, it's, it's weird with Portland because the pick, it's lottery protected, or they, they would lose it if they made the playoffs this season or next season, and then after those two seasons, it becomes a second-round pick. So that, oh, that's, okay. a pretty strong incentive. Yeah, that's a pretty so that, strong incentive 
Except that means you have to miss the playoffs not only this year but next season, and that seems like that's a team if they have, if they have a good summer could be right back in the mix a little bit next year. Right, but to your point though, it wouldn't be a bad it wouldn't be bad if they, you know, if they do miss, you know, and they they don't, and maybe they maybe they miss again next year, maybe they're on the border, but yeah, I mean, if they can get an extra piece, it certainly it certainly would help. And and I I forgot I actually forgot about that. What what it trade what trade? Oh, that was the. Uh, that was the trade for Aaron Aflalo last year, right? That must be I where that, so. that must be where that pick came from. That's interesting. I'd forgotten that. Yep. That's uh, that's a good point to know. Well, that's why you should all read Chris Harrington because he's been terrific on the Grizzlies for forever now, um, both when he was at the Memphis Flyer and now writing for the Commercial Appeal. So, Chris, uh, I know I kept you a little longer than I was supposed to, so let me let you go now. But before you do, please. Uh, you know, I know I know you write about a bunch of things in Memphis, so um, so let people know where they can follow you on Twitter, and uh, you mentioned your column, plug that, and some other stuff you've got going on at the uh, Commercial Appeal. Um, my I, my basketball Twitter feed is at Harrington NBA, um, H E R R I N G T O N, and you can find the column at CommercialAppeal.com in the Grizzly section. And I had a column went up this morning about a lot of these issues, so you can check it out there. Yeah, definitely do. Chris is the best on on the Grizzlies. You can follow me at Tim Bontemps on Twitter. Uh, you can find my work at the Washington Post. Please subscribe to the Posting Up podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. Um, please give it a five-star review as well. That would be great. You can also find the podcast on SoundCloud if you want to listen to it there. Uh, I always post it to the Washington Post website with a link to SoundCloud there, so you can check it out there if you need to. Um, thank you to Glenn Yoder, Sports Digital Editor at the Washington Post and his band, The Western States, uh, for the theme music to the podcast. Uh, Glenn is actually going to be uh, doing a show with the band in uh, Brooklyn on February 19th, day after the trade deadline. I'm going to try to do something uh, at the show with them. Um, so hopefully we can uh, see you all there. next. It's a next Friday night for anybody in New York, so hopefully you can do that. Um, and, Chris, this has been great. Thank you again for the time. I really appreciate it. And to everyone listening, thank you as well, and we'll talk to you again soon.